how men can support women is, first of all, be aware that they are afraid to speak up, typically. They're a little bit hesitant to have an opinion because there is an assertive backlash and women are looked upon poorly because of the gender roles we've been talking about. If a woman acts outside of her gender role and is assertive, speaks her mind, she's looked at as bossy or coming across too strong or those kinds of things. Be aware that those biases exist if you're a male in a leadership role. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a coach here at Quantivos. And our guest today is Sue Reynolds. Sue is the owner of Carmine Media, where she provides coaching and communication, focusing on helping women grow their leadership presence. And Sue, that's the important piece of what I'd like to focus on today. So first of all, welcome. Thank you for having me so much. Um, I really enjoy having these conversations. I think it's important to spread the word and make people aware of the struggles that women have as they try to ascend to a leadership role. I was reading something you wrote, Sue, where you talked about growing up as a, quote, good little girl, I, I think was the language you used. How has that informed the work that you're doing today? Oh, it, it's informed it so much. I'm a child of the 70s and the 80s. And of course, you know, it, 60s and 70s, you had a huge women's rights movement. Women were coming in the forefront, uh, fighting for their equal rights, fighting for equal pay, trying to get back into the workforce. And that was widely accepted. There were a lot of people championing that. And as you know, when you have uh, when when a culture swings in a certain direction, there's almost always a backlash in the decades to follow. And as I was growing up in the '80s, I certainly experienced that backlash. Um, I remember my mom stayed home with us until I was about 16. My sister is five years younger than me, and when she went back to work, my grandmother sent her an article about latchkey children and the danger it was for women to go back to work and women to be in the workplace, that their their place was at home. And you saw that all over the news. It, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but that was that was the culture then, to that you were selfish if you worked. And that, once again, we're back to this Victorian notion that women's place is to nurture their families, nurture their communities, be in service of those around them, and to have any kind of ambition or goals of your own what is selfish. Now, I know that that's generalizing quite a bit, but that's really the message that I got from the prevailing culture at the time. So you grew up with this cultural message and this mom message that were not aligned. 
Where did that lead you in the early days of your career? Oh, it led me to, well, let me back up a moment. I uh, come from New York. There were a lot of standardized tests in school. And I remember taking a test, state test, maybe in seventh grade or so, that indicated that I had very high level engineering skills. And I brought this test home and I remember my mother was horrified. No daughter of mine's going to be in a man's uh, occupation. So they, they routed me into secretarial school and I became an admin. So I started my career as an admin because really as, as a woman in those days, you had three choices. You could be a nurse, you could be a teacher, you could be a secretary. And I felt like those were my options. Now, my friends were getting different messages from their families. They were getting different, probably different support, but that's that's the message that I got and I, I bought it. So I became an admin. I think messaging is maybe more subtle in most parts of the country today in most elements of our society, but there still is messaging and, and what's important here is messaging isn't only to women about women's place. It's to men about women's places with hell. What are some of the messages that women, uh, young younger women growing up, as well as women entering the workplace, are still receiving today? It's still problematic. You make a really good point. We're still seeing examples of, for example, clothing for little girls that say things like, I'm too smart, or I'm, I'm not smart enough for math, so I, I let my brother do it, or I'm too pretty for math, so I let my brother do it for me. I mean, literally, that there was a shirt of that type for sale not too long ago at one, at one of the big box stores. Um, being pretty, being nice, being agreeable, making sure that everyone's happy. Uh, those are the messages that women are still getting about their place in the world as it relates to men as well, making sure that we are filling that role so that the men are happy. So and I want to dive a little more into your story. And as I said before we started recording, we'll get into my story as well. But um, what took you out of the role of secretary into a professional career path? So I had a mentor as I was working for um, Ohio State University as an admin, and I was exhibiting, as I always had, a lot of skill around technology, understanding. Uh, underst I quickly became the technology resource person. My label was admin, but I was quickly building databases to manage things with pivot tables uh, and th things of that nature. And I had a mentor who said, you will go back to school. You will finish your degree. Uh, you need to be doing more than you're doing. And I very fortunately got laid off from that position just as I was finishing my degree and ended up starting a brand new career in higher level social media marketing, which is what led me really to where I am now. Now that was that was 13 years ago. Um, I've since I've since learned and grown a lot about leadership since you know in, in that time, um, and developed the business that I have now, 
and the skills that I have now. But I felt I feel like all of that, all of that prior experience and the understanding that I have of the messaging that women get from everywhere, from commercials and women's magazines, and and it's just so pervasive that I and when I realized how affected I was by it, I thought certainly there's lots of women who are equally affected by it. So I started talking about it on TikTok of all places during the pandemic. And I accidentally became famous on TikTok because of this information, because of these videos, they blew up. And, and I, I couldn't believe the, the attention they brought to me. So I, I listened and I thought, I need to give back. I need to start talking about this in a more formal way. And that's what led me to coaching. As many of our listeners know, I'm a gay man. I came out at the age of about 31, I think. But again, I grew up with a whole bunch of messaging that for a long time I wasn't even conscious of the fact that this was shaping how I was showing up in the world very differently than who I am. And so I really want to explore with you how this messaging is affecting those who manage women in the workplace as well. Um, I'm pausing because our stories are very similar. Uh, so I got married very young and follow, once again, following the rules. You get married, you have children, you stay home with the children. And then I fell in love with a woman and came out similarly at, at, at a similar age as you. And that caused an identity crisis for me because I no longer fit into what society told me I was supposed to be. And while that was probably one of the most difficult experiences of my life, it taught me to question the cultural messages and why we're, why we should follow them. What what is it about those messages that make them correct in any way? And so as it relates to your question, how can men support women? Understand, first of all, to your point, that typically homophobia is rooted in sexism. You know, how dare a man act like a woman or how dare a man not want a woman, how dare a woman not want a man, all of those things are rooted in sexism and gender roles, right? Uh, but I digress. How men can support women is, first of all, be aware that they are afraid to speak up, typically. They're a little bit hesitant to have an opinion because there is an assertive backlash and women are looked upon poorly because of the gender roles we've been talking about. If a woman acts outside of her gender role and is assertive, speaks her mind, she's looked at as bossy or coming across too strong or those kinds of things. Be aware that those biases exist if you're a male in a leadership role. Secondary, I would say if you have women on your team, encourage them to speak up. Encourage them. Give them the floor. Ask them for their opinion when you're in a group meeting. Make sure that they are contributing because most likely many of them won't because of the fear of the very real assertive backlash that exists. All of that requires trust. Yes. How 
in in your experience, how can a leader build the trust with his team? And then I want to come back and ask a similar question about her team. But how can a leader build the trust with his team that makes it safe for for women, for um, introverts, for in in some cases racial or ethnic minorities? How can that leader build that safe environment? There's a lot of talk these days about psychological safety within organizations. And um, one of the most powerful things, it, it seems simple, but it takes time and it's not necessarily easy. But honestly, get to know your team as people. Ask them what they care about. I have one-on-ones uh, with team, like coaching sessions, just like I do my, my coaching team or my coaching clients. And you want to get to know them as people so that you can build that trust. Also, allow yourself to make mistakes and admit them when you do and and how are you going to solve them. Be a human. And I know that seems very simple, but sometimes it's not easy in the corporate environment especially. But these days, you can't be a corporate robot. You've got to be a human. You've got to legitimately care about the team that you're growing so that you build that psychological safety. There's a great book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And she uh, she talks about giving that 360 feedback and, and, and asking for that feedback. And uh, it's a good jumping off point for uh, someone who's trying to build that kind of trust with their team and how to have those conversations. Um, I recommend it to a lot of my clients, um, especially if they're struggling with having difficult conversations and uh, needing to build trust. So, You're singing my song. I, again, many people have heard me say this, I really am working to take the word employee out of my vocabulary because employees are these interchangeable human resources, which is another word I'm not real comfortable with anymore. Um, and, and the people who work with you, the people who work for you are people. That's right. And they are much more than the skills that you hired them for. They're, they're, they're fuller, they're richer, they have deeper passions, they have real lives and real struggles and, and real successes. And so, again, much like you, I think, I, I very often find myself coaching clients to step out of role-to-role relationship building and into people-to-people relationship building. So maybe the answer is the same, but how do female leaders create a safe environment for the men and others that are on their team? I think the answer is very much the same. You want to do the same things. Uh, get to know your team as humans. Be a human. Allow yourself to make mistakes. When you make a mistake, admit it and talk about how you're going to fix it. In addition, as a woman in a leadership role, you have a remarkable opportunity to model the behaviors that are acceptable now. And it's okay to say, I have an opinion. I have a thought. Um, wait a minute. I'm not finished with my thought yet. Can I, I would like to finish when you're interrupted or talked over. 
Um, so you're encouraging your team to do that. You're also modeling it yourself as a female leader, showing what is safe and acceptable to do on your team and perhaps in the larger organization. It's a tremendous responsibility, but it's also a wonderful opportunity. One of the challenges that many of the women that I coach voice is in a meeting, I put out an idea and the conversation keeps going as if I said nothing. And then 15 minutes later, some guy will put out the same idea and it becomes his brilliant insight. How do you advise women to deal with that kind of devaluing? I like that you used the word devaluing. It, it's also possible they were just completely ignored. Yeah. Completely ignored. Like they didn't even say it. Um, typically, the best way to handle that is to say, you know, Jim, I'm glad we agree on that. Thank you for reiterating my idea. Let's brainstorm on how we can move that forward. So reclaim it. Reclaim it. Brilliant. Without finger pointing, you don't need to say, I said that first. You, you, it's Again, it's that assertive backlash that we are all in danger of. So reclaim it, but still be respectful. You can do both. One of the things that I find really important is the recognition that, and, and we're stereotyping here for a moment, that women and men have different leadership styles and that there is value in each of them. A while back, I had a conversation with a colleague who talked about the importance of bringing more feminine characteristics of leadership into the lives of the male leaders that she worked with. How do you see this? Having leaders with diverse life experiences um, and diverse thinking is going to benefit the organization. Women have a different lived experience than men because of the culture. Now, again, you're right. Let's not, I, I don't want to get into where we're completely generalizing, but we have to generalize for this conversation because uh, we can't cover all of the specifics. There, of course, are instances in which the reverse is true, and there are certainly women who don't have the assertive backlash and all those things. But in general, yes, you're right. Uh, People with different lived experiences bring different thoughts and ideas to the table, and then organizations become more inclusive, which makes them stronger. Um, I attended years ago a diversity lecture at Ohio State University, and the leader at that time likened it to the Irish potato famine when they, built, they, they planted one type of potato for the most part, you know, and then guess what? It got wiped out because it, there was not enough diversity in the plantings. Similarly, in an organization, you can get into a, a situation where you have groupthink, um, a lack of a lack of fresh ideas, a lack of perspective, and that's not going to make an organization stronger. So, bringing, I I hesitate on the word feminine. I would rather say bringing different lived experiences to leadership is going to make the organization stronger. 
Uh, we need more women in leadership, period. No argument here. We definitely do women, especially in male-dominated industries. And, and I hear this particularly with women of color that I coach, that they are so often, finally, the, their voice is, I'm tired of being the representative for every woman of color in the organization. Um, in male-dominated industries, how do women deal with the expectation that they are the representative for all the women in the organization? That's a tough one. You're asking tough questions, but it's a question that's been asked of many, many, you know, you've seen tech leaders, uh, the CEO of Yahoo, for example. How does it feel to be the first woman CEO of this big tech company? And of course, they, you know, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders and that you're right. That's a big role to fill. And of course, they're always asked, how are you going to balance your work and your family? Oh, yeah. And of course, <laughs> men are never asked that. <laughs> you know, uh, the assumption is, of course, that there's someone at home to do that. Um, with a woman, you're the person that's assuming you're going to be doing that. So being the first does come with a responsibility. Be, for example, when I started living my life as a gay woman with a female partner, I felt an enormous sense of responsibility, knowing that I was now out in the world representing what a gay person looks like. And I felt an enormous sense of responsibility. So I don't want to pretend like that responsibility doesn't exist. And I do understand that you get tired of it. But um, it, is, it is there. And I, I personally take it very seriously. Uh, as the representative, if you will, of what a gay person looks like in a corporate world. Um, and guess what? It looks pretty much the same as everyone else. <laughs> uh, you know, I did laundry on the weekend and I uh, mowed the lawn and, and whatever. Uh, not, not a crazy lifestyle. Uh, but I do feel the weight of that responsibility. And so I understand the frustration of it. And I would say that be proud that you are in that role and that other women are looking up to you as the path forward for them. I think that's an important point to make. That idea of being the pioneer, I think it's so important to recognize that even today, we have to be pioneers. And a part of being a pioneer today is there's also a whole new world of work, a whole new future of work. You know, what has happened with COVID and the great resignation and, and, and really whole new generations of, of workers becoming a larger and larger part of the workforce. And now artificial intelligence, which will do who knows what with any and every one of our industries, um, now can we successfully continue to pioneer and really lead the way for those who are behind us? I think the best way to pioneer and lead the way is to admit truthfully that these issues still exist and to talk openly about them. I am amazed at the, the response to my videos, which 
in my mind seemed so simple. But so many women are saying, you too? I feel like this too. I struggle with these things too. And I'm not, I'm talking about highly educated, very successful women who feel like they're not enough, feel like their confidence is lacking because of the messaging that they've received. Um, and so keep talking about these things because they still matter and they're still a struggle for a lot of people. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. They still matter. And I think the other important piece of that message, Sue, is you're not alone. Yes. And so find your tribe, whatever that means. Find your tribe that can support you to the success that you are capable of, even when those around you question it. Absolutely. Any final words as we wrap this up, Sue? It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing in this space and giving me a voice to talk about the work that I'm doing. Sue Reynolds, thank you for this conversation. Same here. Have a wonderful day.